Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. It's good to be with everybody worshiping. Today, I am excited. I am pumped for today's sermon. Very excited to preach it. I hope that you've enjoyed this series, How to Survive a Horror Movie. I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been entertaining. Uh, I hope that it's helped you uh, see not just God's word in a new light, but maybe horror movies. Maybe we have some new horror movie fans (laughs) because of this series. Um, It's been funny. People have not been able to believe that we've done this series. Like whenever I've talked to different people, they're like, I'm so glad it's been really cool and it's been fun. I just, I can't believe that our church is doing a a sermon series on horror movies (laughs) and and focusing so much on Halloween, which got me thinking, um, we talked about this at the beginning of the series, but I just want to hit it again because we're coming up close on Halloween, um, Cornerstone stance on spooky season and on Halloween in general. Um, It's everywhere, right? Halloween's everywhere. It's from the moment September 1st hits all the way through October 31st. Think about that. That's two solid months of the year, everything is Halloween focused. Everything. Like you go in stores and there's Halloween candy for sale. There's Halloween costumes for sale. Uh, The food is like Halloween themed. Like we bought Fruit Loops the other day and they're like spooky Fruit Loops. Like everything is Halloween themed. Um, You turn on TV and AMC has Fear Fest going on with uh, horror movies and Freeform. Um, it'll always be ABC Family to me, though. It'll always be ABC Family to me. They've got 31 nights uh, of Halloween. Like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. People right now are planning Halloween parties and stuff like that. And so how weird would it be for the church to be silent on an issue that dominates two months of the year? That's weird. That's weird. Us talking about it is not weird. Us ignoring it is weird. And so we're not gonna ignore it. Like, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna leverage it here at church. Uh, We're not gonna be afraid of it because we believe at Cornerstone that Jesus is Lord 24-7, 365. We believe he's Lord every single moment of every single day, all throughout the year. And so, uh, yeah, we believe that Jesus has given us liberty that we can celebrate things like this uh, and that we can uh, uh, do this without worshiping the devil in the process, right? That we can enjoy Halloween, enjoy uh, the fun elements of the season uh, because Jesus has given us this liberty to do that. So that's where we stand on Halloween. Now today, I am, I'm, like I said, I'm so pumped to be closing out this series, although it is kind of bittersweet because this has been a super, super fun series. Like I've really enjoyed doing this. I could be preaching on horror movies into December. It would be a weird Christmas series though. (laughs) So we're not gonna do that. We're gonna uh, finish this out today. But uh, it has, it's been so much fun preaching on this. Um, We've been looking at horror movies and not just horror movies. We've been looking at the book of Daniel as kind of like our guide. And we've been looking at the book of Daniel through the lens of horror movies. And uh, that's what we're gonna be doing today as we close it out. We're gonna be in Daniel six. So if you wanna go ahead and start looking it up, you wanna open up a tab, have the verses if you want to follow along, but uh, if you want to get your own tab open or open up your Bible, Daniel chapter six. Now, real quick, I'll just give a quick refresher on where we've been so far, the rules that we've been building. If we want to survive these horror movie moments that we can put ourselves into life or life will put us into, right? Our own stupid decisions, our own sins, our own mistakes can throw us into the middle of a horror movie moment 
Or life, it just has a way of putting us in terrible situations sometimes, right? Sometimes bad stuff just happens. And so uh, how can we survive? So rule number one, the first thing we looked at was rule number one, listen to the old timer. Listen to the old timer. We were reading from Daniel chapter five and the story of, uh, of the hand writing on the wall, right? The ghostly hand that appears, writes on the wall, tells King Belshazzar uh, uh, that his kingdom is coming to an end, that he's ignored all this wise counsel and all this stuff that he knew for years. He's ignored it and now his time has come. And so we looked at how our own life, we need to look for wise counsel. We need to look for people in our lives uh, and listen to their advice, listen to their wisdom because God has put them in our lives for a reason. So that's rule number one, listen to the old timer. Rule number two, let's stick together. Let's stick together. We were in Daniel chapter one, seeing how Daniel and his friends, they were able to be taken from their homeland, taken to a new pagan empire. They were able to defy the will of an emperor. They were able to do all this different stuff and they didn't just survive it, they thrived. Like they were promoted through the ranks of the administration and it's because they stuck together. They ignored Fred and the gang, right? Let's split up gang. They ignored that idea and they're like, no, 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 no. Let's stick together. Let's stick together. Let's go through this thing together. They realize their strength in numbers, and the same is true for us in our life. If we're going to survive horror movie moments that come up in our life, we need to make sure that we are in community with other people who are pursuing God's will in their life. So that's rule number two. Rule number three, it's never just the wind. It's never just the wind. We looked at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how uh, they acknowledged the terrifying situation that they were in. They acknowledged it and they trusted God with it. And we talked about the fact that that's true faith, is acknowledging the scary situations in life. True faith isn't looking at what's coming up in your life and if it's scary, acting like it's not scary. Like, no, 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 I'm not getting these final notice uh, uh, bills and uh, no, 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 my wife isn't actually upset with me. Like, no, that's not faith, that is denial. (laughs) That's denial. Faith is acknowledging, yeah, my situation is scary, but if I trust Jesus and follow him, he can get me through it. So that was rule number three. And then last week, rule number four, avoid the attic. Avoid the attic. And we were looking at Daniel chapter four and we see the story of King Nebuchadnezzar and how he starts to lose his mind. He's been uh, neglecting God. He hasn't been following God in his life. He's been living for his own honor, for his own esteem, not for God's. And so he loses his mind. He loses his kingdom. He loses his splendor. And then whenever he regains it, whenever he finally humbles himself before God and he regains his mind, he regains the sanity, the first thing he does is worship. The first thing he does is worship. And how for us, it can be so easy whenever we feel like we let God down, the first thing we wanna do whenever we realize that is sulk. The first thing we wanna do is, no, 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 God, I'm, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I, I, I shouldn't have done that, and I, I don't wanna be at church, I don't wanna be around my Christian friends, I don't wanna listen to worship music because I feel bad about myself. And so we learned from Nebuchadnezzar that, you know what, we need to avoid the attic, avoid the attic, avoid the things in your past, all those memories of the times that you feel like you've let God down, and just worship him. Trust Jesus with your past and worship him because he is worthy. So that was rule number four. And that brings us to today, brings us to our conclusion, the conclusion of how to survive a horror movie. And it's, it should be pretty simple to see where we're going with this because every horror movie ends the same way. Every horror movie ends the exact same way. They all end, every single one, with a face-to-face showdown between the hero, the protagonist, right, and the killer, Every single one, (laughs) every single one. That is the climax of the movie. You got Sidney Prescott 
and Ghostface, right? You've got Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. You've got Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman. Like there is always the final showdown between the killer who has been tormenting, who's been hunting, who's been haunting the protagonist, the whole movie, and the hero. They always end up facing each other in the final moments of the movie and the, the movie's ending. They're always the same, which by the way, brings me, I wanna see in the comments, what, what do you think is the best horror movie ending you've ever seen? Because there's a few of them out there that are pretty good that are like twist endings and stuff like that. So I just want to see in the comments. It's just interesting. I want to know, what do you think is the best ending? But here's what I'll say. All those endings are going to have the same thing in common, that it's the hero facing the killer. Because they all end the same way. There is a conflict at the end. And here's the fact of the matter. You and I, we can do everything right in our life. We can do everything right in our life. The, the, the uh, rules that we've been going over, listening to the old timers, sticking together, uh, acknowledging the scary situations in our life, avoiding the past, avoiding our attic. We can do all of those things and still we will have to face our killer. <laughs> we will still have to face our killer at the end of our movie. It doesn't matter how good you and I follow the rules, the killer comes for all of us. So what do we do when we face our killer. What do we do? That brings us to today, brings us to rule number five, the last rule if you want to survive a horror movie. Rule number five, kill the killer and make sure he's dead. <laughs> kill the killer and make sure he's dead. And whenever you watch horror movies, is the killer ever dead the first time he gets shot? No. Is he ever dead the first time he gets electrocuted? The first time he gets stabbed? The first time he falls out of a window? The first time he gets blown up? The first time he gets set on fire? No. No, he's not. The killer always survives. <laughs> like, he's never dead the first time. The killer is never dead the first time. He always survives. Actually, um, that kind of uh, uh, trope in movies, it really started to gain steam and get popularized with a, a film we've talked about a lot here on Sunday mornings, uh, Halloween, 1978 Halloween. That was really like the, the, the OG horror movie of this modern era that we're in uh, of horror movies, uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. And in this movie, Michael, I mean, he gets jacked up. <laughs> he gets stabbed in the eye with like a coat hanger. He gets stabbed with a, like a butcher knife. Like he, he gets jacked up. He gets shot multiple times, falls out a second story window. And whenever Loomis, Dr. Loomis goes over to check and to see if Michael's still dead, he looks outside and guess what? He's gone. He's gone. He, Michael has completely disappeared. He's vanished. He has still survived all of that. And John Carpenter, the director of the movie, uh, he was actually saying that that's on purpose. Like what he wanted to do was give Michael Myers an almost supernatural element to him. There's like an almost a supernatural element where Michael himself like represents fate. He represents fate and how you can't outrun it. That's why if you've ever watched the movie, you're like, well, that's so stupid. Like these people are doing a dead sprint to get away from him. He's just walking and he still catches up with him. And that's the whole point is that there's like a supernatural element to Michael that you can run as fast as you can. You can take off, you can run, you can hide. He's going to find you. He's going to find you because there's that supernatural element. There's that fate element. There's that you can't kill him element, that immortal element to the killer. And that element is true with our killer as well. So who is the killer that we're talking about? Because the killer in our life isn't Michael Myers. It's not Freddy Krueger. The killer in our lives, the killer that we all have to face is sin. Sin. 
Sin is the killer in our horse movie. It always has been. Sin's always been the killer in our horror movie ever since the start, ever since the first pages of the script. Sin has been the killer lurking in the shadows, hunting and haunting us at every single turn. Sin is the killer that if we follow rules one through four, all the ones that we've talked about sticking together and avoiding our past, sin is the killer that if we do those things, we can fend it off for a while, but eventually it comes for all of us. It comes for all of us and there will be a face-to-face showdown with the sin in our life. It comes for everybody and it's building up a body count. (laughs) Sin has taken down a lot of really, really good people, a lot of really good godly people. So what we're gonna do today in our uh, moments together, we're gonna be looking at how we can kill our sin, what it means to kill our sin, what it looks like whenever sin gets involved in our life, how we can kill it. And again, we're gonna be using that through the lens of Daniel chapter six. And real quick, before we hop in, what I want to say to just everybody real quick, this is a statement from a a, a pastor. His name is John Owen. This is an old pastor. Like this is a guy who lived... I believe it's about 100 years ago, uh, he wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. The Mortification of Sin. This is what he says about sin. And this is kind of our thesis statement for the day. Okay, this is what John Owen says. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing your sin or your sin will be killing you. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing your sin or your sin will be killing you. I am ready to kill my sin. If you're ready, would you bow your heads and you pray with me, all right? Father God, today we come humbly before you asking for your help. We know that the killer in our movie is a powerful, ancient, terrifying enemy. It's something we cannot face on our own. So God, we come before you today asking for your help. We ask that you would illuminate your word to us, that you would point out the truth of your word that we would see it and that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word today, but that we would be doers of the word and what we learn that we would apply it in our lives so that we can kill the killer, that we can kill the sin in our life through your help and we can become new people, new creations through the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe you for this, Father, and we thank you for the truth of your word. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Amen. So again, like I said, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. Just a little quick background on Daniel chapter 6. So the very first uh, week of this series, we were in Daniel chapter 5. And Daniel chapter 5, that's the the writing on the wall, right? Um, If you remember the end of that story, King Belshazzar, who is uh, the new leader of the Babylonian Empire, he gets killed. He gets offed because there is an invading army that's completely surrounded Babylon. And so they, they break through, they breach the walls, and now Babylon has fallen and a new empire comes into power, the, uh, the Median Persian Empire. They come into power, and along with them, a new ruler by the name of Darius. Darius is the new ruler who comes into power, and he actually follows uh, different things that Nebuchadnezzar was doing and some of the Babylonian leaders was doing. He comes in, and rather than just cleaning house, he looks for some people in the current administration to be like, okay, who, who in here is wise? Who in here are some good leaders that I can use and leverage in my own administration? And one of the people that he finds is Daniel, right? Daniel's been favored by God. Daniel's been doing amazing work throughout his entire life. And so Darius sees him. God gives Daniel favor with the new king, and Daniel gets a, a high spot in Darius's administration. We actually see in scripture that Darius is wanting to set up this kind of governmental structure. And how he does it, he's like, okay, I'm 
I'm going to appoint 120 regional rulers called satraps. I'm going to appoint these 120 regional rulers. And on top of them, there will be three administrators to oversee them. Daniel got one of those administration jobs. He was one of the three picked. And here's the thing. Daniel was so good at what he did. He was such an honest person, such a great advisor, such a great leader that Darius decided, you know what? I'm going to promote Daniel. Like, I'm not just going to have him be one of the top three. I'm going to make him the administrator of the administrators. He's going to be second only to me in the kingdom. Guess who didn't like that? Guess who wasn't a fan of that? The other leaders, right? They, they weren't too hip on that. They're like, no, 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 no. I don't like this. This guy's shooting up the ranks. He's making us look bad. We need to do something to bring him down a notch or two. And so they start digging into his past. They start looking for different areas where maybe Daniel hasn't been uh, quite forthcoming. Maybe he's been corrupt. Maybe he hasn't been honest. They start looking into his past. And scripture actually says this. The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And listen to this. This is incredible. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Think about that for a moment. The only thing that they could find on him was like, look, this dude, he is above reproach in every single way. If we're gonna get him, the only way we're gonna be able to do that is by making it illegal to worship his God because that's the only thing we can find. That is the only thing. Man, if we as Christians, if that could be true of us today, how our world would be so, so different. So they go about doing this. Like, all right, we found our end. This is how we're gonna bring Daniel down. We're gonna do, uh, we're gonna try to make a law. We're gonna try to do something to make it where worshiping his God is illegal. And so this is what they do uh, starting in verse six. Again, chapter six, verse six. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So you see these guys, they all come up before the king and they just start, you know, just kissing his butt, right? I mean, they're like, oh, majestic King Darius, may you live forever. King, you know what? You're so incredible. We were all talking and we all got to thinking, you know what should be, you know what should be the law of the land? The only person we can pray to, the only God we can pray to, the only person who is worthy of our worship is you, King. That's how great you are. That's how amazing you are. We believe you are the only one who's worthy of this. And so King, we, we've been talking, we think you should actually issue a decree Make a law where no one can pray to anybody else but you. And if they do, they'd be killed because you are that great. You are that awesome. You're that amazing. And so King Darius does this. And the culture of, uh, of the Median Persian Empire was such that if the king issued a decree, it couldn't be repealed. There was no process to find if it was unconstitutional or not, right? If the king puts it into place, he sets up a law. That's just the law. The king himself cannot even repeal it. The king himself cannot even repeal it. So they talk him into it and King Darius puts the decree in writing. And as I read this and I look at this, I'm like, man, isn't that how sin works in our life? Isn't that how the killer works in our life? It can look so good at first. 
It can look so good at first. It comes before us, oh, your majesty. Oh, you're so worthy. You're so entitled to everything that you think you want in life. You're so great. You're so wonderful. That's what sin does. It comes into our life looking fantastic, buttering us up, telling us we deserve the world, that we should have fun, that we should be able to do whatever we want to do. Sin will look good. Put it in the chat. Sin will look good. It will look good on the forefront. The killer will look enticing at the beginning. It will make us feel good. It'll make us feel entitled. It'll be exciting. Why do you think all this stuff that they do in horror movies, it seems stupid, but they do it because it's exciting, because it seems fun, because it seems like a good time. That's why they go to the house that says it's abandoned. That's why they ignore the keep out signs. That's why they do all these different things. That's why they read from the cursed book that they shouldn't be reading from, right? Because there's something exciting about it. There's a thrill about it. Sin will look good at the beginning. It will look good at the beginning. Living outside of the Christian sexual ethic, it can look good for a time. It can look appealing. It can look enticing. Living outside of being generous with your finances, man, that can look enticing. I mean, if I, if I were to look at my budget and go, wow, if I take a tithe out and, and I don't have to, you know, I'm not giving 10% to God anymore, Man, what could I do with that money? I mean, wow, we could, do a, we could do a lot with that. That's enticing. There's something enticing about that. There's something enticing about thinking uh, about yourself first. There's something enticing about thinking, you know what, I'm gonna put myself first in my relationships. I'm gonna put myself first at work. I'm gonna make sure I get what I need. I'm gonna make sure that my calendar reflects everything I want to do, everything that's important to me. It's enticing. Sin will look good. It will call you your majesty. It will tell you what you deserve, what you're entitled to. Sin looks good at the start until the bill comes due. And the bill is about to come due for King Darius. This is what it says, jumping ahead to verse 12. So they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. You see, Daniel wasn't gonna be deterred, just like he hasn't his whole life. He decides, no, I'm, I'm gonna continue worshiping God. I'm not gonna stop praying to God. So Daniel keeps praying. These advisors see that. And so they go to King Darius and they tell him, King, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? See, they know this. They're like, hey, hey King, we're just reminding you. Remember, remember that thing? <laughs> remember that decree that you signed? The king answered, yes, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Verse 13, then they said to the king, well, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Verse 14 says, when the king heard this, he was greatly Distressed. You see, Darius and Daniel were very close. So the king was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and he made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men, verse 15, went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty, remember that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. Remember, your majesty, remember that thing that you just signed, that decree? Yeah, you can't go back on it. Sorry, sorry about that. What's done is done. What you've done, what you've committed, the thing that you did, th there's, there's no going back on it. Sorry about that. You see, sin, it's, it's so insidious. <laughs> it's so evil the way that sin works. What sin will do, sin will condemn you. 
Sin will condemn you. Put that in the chat. Sin doesn't just look good. It will then condemn you when the bill comes due. It will condemn you. And this is what's so messed up about it. This is why sin is just, man, there's something just so evil about it. Sin will condemn you for the very thing it called you to do. Sin will condemn you for the very thing, the very thing that they were just saying, you know what, your majesty, you are so worthy of this. You deserve this. You're entitled to this. The second he passes it and comes to regret it, well, what's done is done. I mean, you did do this after all. This is your mess. That is your signature, isn't it, O king? That is your handwriting, isn't it, your majesty? Yeah, what's done is done. The very thing that sin called you to do, once you do it, it will condemn you. It will condemn you. It, it's, it's crazy. I've, I've seen this happen in my own life in numerous ways. Um, one way that it happened just recently. So my wife, uh, Jessica, she's uh, starting kind of a home baking thing. And she's been like making all these test cookies at home, which I need y'all pray for me because <laughs> trying not to put on like 100 pounds with all these like cookies. And here, can you try it? See how this tastes? It's, it's brutal because they're so good. <laughs> they are so, so good. Um, but she's been making these cookies. And so the other day, uh, she was putting a griffin down for a nap and Evelyn was in our living room. I think Eden, if I remember, I think Eden was downstairs. Uh, and I came in and I sat down next to Evelyn on the couch and she's sitting there and she's eating one of the cookies that Jessica had made. And there's another cookie sitting on uh, the, the coffee table. And I'm just kind of like eyeing the cookie up, right? Because it's looking pretty good. I'm just kind of sitting there eyeing the cookie up. And Evelyn looks at me and she goes, you can have the cookie I'm like, really? Is that okay, honey? And she, yeah, you can have the cookie. That's okay. I'm like, oh, cool. Thank you. So I take it and I eat it. It was delicious. Very good cookie. Within about two minutes, I hear bum, 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 coming up the stairs and it's Eden. Eden comes in the room. She's got whatever she was looking for downstairs. And she comes over and looks down and goes, who ate my cookie? Before, like, as I'm realizing I ate the cookie, I, I'm like, that's washing over me as Evelyn goes, daddy ate your cookie. I'm like, what? I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, first off, the youngs don't raise snitches in this house. Keep your mouth shut, Evelyn. <laughs> but secondly, why didn't you say anything to me? And not only why didn't you say anything to me, you told me. I didn't even ask, can I have the cookie? You said, you can have the cookie, dad. Like she straight up told me I could have it. Said it was okay, and the second I eat it, yeah, dad ate it. Dad ate your cookie. I'm like, are you kidding me, right? And I think about this, and I'm like, yeah, that's how it works, right? The very thing it calls you to, the very thing it says, it's okay, you deserve it. You're entitled to this. The second you go for it, how dare you? How dare you? Who do you think you are? That's how sin works, and Darius is experiencing it head on in this horror movie moment. He did something thinking, you know what? Yeah, this, this sounds good to me. This sounds good to me. And now it's coming back to bite him. Sin will condemn you. And not just that, sin works to pull your past back in front of you. Exactly what we talked about last week, right? This, this sermon kind of goes hand in hand with last week. What sin will try to do, it'll try to pull stuff out of the attic. Just how they said that. Verse 15, the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty, Remember what you said. Remember what you did. Remember the law that you put into place. That's what sin wants to do in your life, to just say, hey, remember? Remember? Remember who you were? Remember what you've done? Remember the way you treated people? Remember the things you've looked at? Remember the way you've been so selfish? Remember? Sin will look good, and then sin will condemn you. It'll condemn you, and Darius is seeing that happen in his life. Verse 16, it continues. So the king gave the order reluctantly, right? He, he, can't, he can't do anything. His hands are tied. The law is the law. So the king gave the order 
And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and he spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. He could not sleep. As I'm reading that, the part that really stands out to me is where it says that the king and his nobles had to seal the entrance. They sealed it with their signet rings. And this is what it says, a direct quote, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. So his situation might not be changed. So sin, it will look good. Then sin will condemn you. And then put this in the chat, sin will keep you. Sin will keep you. It will try to keep you right where you're at. Sin wants you to believe that your situation cannot be changed. Sin wants you to believe, no, 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 no. What's done is done. We're we're sealing the entrance. There's no going back. Your situation cannot be changed. You are who you are. This is who you are and this is what you deserve. Sin wants you to believe that, wants you to believe that your situation is just what your situation is gonna be. And we see that play out in horror movies all the time. We see that play out in horror movies all the time. Like we were saying about Halloween and Michael Myers, there's a sense of uh, uh, inevitability to him that no matter what you do, he's gonna catch up with you. No matter what, what you try, you can try shooting him with a gun, you can try stabbing him with a knife, you can try setting a house on fire, you can do all these things, it does not matter. Your situation remains unchanged. He is still coming for you. And that's not just Halloween. That's like every slasher movie. That's every horror movie. Freddy Krueger, no matter what you do, there's gonna, you can kill him, but there's gonna be a nightmare on Elm Street too. <laughs> you can kill him again. There's gonna be a number three and a number four and a number five. It just keeps on going and you have the sense of, is anything ever gonna change? Is anything ever gonna change? If you watch some of these horror movies, you feel like you're watching them and you're going, which one is this? Is this... Is this Halloween 2 or is this Halloween 7? Because they both feel the same. The killer's chasing the people, right? Like, it just feels like it never changes. And that's exactly what sin wants to do in your life. It wants you to feel like your situation is not going to change. Just like Daniel's situation could not be changed. That's what sin wants you to believe, that it is inevitable, that the killer is inevitable and there is nothing you can do to change it. That's where... Two of the greatest words come into play. Two of the greatest words back-to-back in English language. Whenever you feel like the killer is inevitable, your fate is sealed, nothing can change, the killer is going to get you, but God. But God. But God intervenes, and we're about to see God intervene in this story, starting in verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. Not a wound was found on him. What King Darius asks to Daniel is the same question I wanna ask to you right now. And I actually want a response. I want you to put it in the comments. Has the God you serve 
been able to rescue you? Has the God you serve been able to rescue you? I can't speak for your testimony, but I can speak for mine. God has come through for me so many times, it's crazy. God has gotten me out of so many horror movie moments, I can't even begin to tell all of them from the stage. We'll be here all day. We will be here until Christmas if I start on that. God has been able to rescue me. He has come through so many times in situations that I felt like could be unchanged. That no, my fate is sealed. The killer is inevitable. I've, I've, I've messed up. I've screwed up so bad. I've gone against God's will. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've treated people in a way I shouldn't have treated. I have screwed up royally. And it feels like my situation, it can't be changed by anyone. It feels like it's inevitable and my fate is sealed, but God. <laughs> but God comes into the picture But God comes into the picture and he saves the day. He rescues me from my horror movie moments. Has God been able to rescue you? Yes, (laughs) yes. Jesus comes into the situation time and time again, the unchangeable situations of our life, and he changes them. He changes them. He rescues us. And here's the thing. Not only has Jesus rescued us, not only has he saved us from sin, this is a huge pivotal point. He doesn't just save us from sin. He makes it so sin no longer can kill us without our permission. (laughs) We have to give it our permission. Sin can't just kill us anymore. We have to allow it to take our life. We have to allow it. You see, one of my, uh, one of the best books out there, it's actually, it's the second bestseller only to the Bible is Pilgrim's Progress. If, if you've ever read it, it's fantastic. It's honestly, it's one of the best uh, pieces of literature. It's just an incredible, incredible book. Uh, and it's an allegory talking about a man named Christian uh, trying to uh, make his way through life and effectively get to heaven. Like he's, he's trying to make it to uh, the celestial city. And there's a, a part in the story where it says how he's, he's walking through uh, essentially the valley of the shadow of death that scripture talks about. And as he's walking through this valley, he sees up ahead of him two lions, like these just massive beasts, like these huge lions in front of him, and he's petrified. Like these things look hungry, they look terrifying. He knows, like talk about a horror movie moment, right? He sees them and he's like, these things are going to just maul me to death. I can't go any further. As he starts looking, he realizes, wait a second, they're chained. <laughs> like they're chained, they, they, they can't get to me. If I, if I just avoid them, they can't get to me. And so sure enough, the, the valley starts to tighten, but he, he's able to slip by them. And as he's walking by, they're roaring right in his face. Their breath is right up against him, right? It's scary, but they can't touch him. They can't touch him. That's because sin, <laughs> sin can no longer kill you without your permission. You see, the lion, I've heard pastors say it this way, the lion may roar, but he's on a leash, The lion may roar, but he's on a leash. Sin does not have power over you anymore. It can't kill you without your permission. It can't kill you without your say-so. It needs it. It needs it. The killer needs your permission to kill you. Don't give it. Don't give it. Don't fall into the old ways of thinking. Don't fall into the old ways that you used to act, the old habits that just lead to the same sin-dead life. Don't do it anymore. You have been given a a, a new life. You've been given a new way of thinking. You've been given a new way that you can live. That's how you kill the killer. (laughs) You follow that. You you agree with God. That's what it means is to not sin anymore. It just means to daily agree with God about your situation. 
to just daily agree and say, God, I know I don't got it. I know I don't got it. I need your help. I need your help. I know that on my own, I can't kill the killer, but with you, I can kill him and make sure he's dead. <laughs> like I can kill him and know that every single day I can put it to death. I can take up my cross and I can put my sin to death every single day by agreeing with you about my condition and that I need you. We can kill the killer and make sure he's dead. And that's exactly what we see happen in the final verse, Daniel 6, 24. This is what it says. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and they were thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Before they even reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. Yow. <laughs> crazy, right? But you see what Darius did there? What, what Darius did in these final moments of this story, it is so important and I don't want us to miss this because this is what you and I need to do. He had the people, the, these accusers, these advisors, these people who had advised him to create this law and then whenever it came back to bite him, they were the ones who were condemning him saying, hey, you're the one who wrote this law. I don't know what to tell you, king. He had those people and what did he do with them? Did, did he confine them? Did he confine them, put them in jail? Did he, did he correct them, tell them, hey, hey, just, just don't do that again? Did he constrain them? Did he, did he demote them? No, no, no. What did Darius do? He killed them. He killed them. Morbid, I know, but necessary. The very things that caused Darius to sin, he didn't just keep them out of the way. No, he had them killed. He had them put down. See, the, we have a temptation to just kind of excuse and try to modify the sin in our life. That isn't enough. The sin needs to be killed. We need to kill the killer and make sure that he's dead. We need to daily follow Jesus. We need to daily give our, our sinful desires, daily give the, the old ways of thinking that we used to have and offer them up to him and say, Jesus, I need your help. Kill it, kill it, put it to death, put it to death. Give me a new way of thinking, a new, a, a new outlook on life, your outlook on life. Because you see, you and I, we can survive our horror movie moments. We can survive our horror, horror movie moments and we can get to the end of them and them not have a horrifying ending. Our ending that, that was supposed to be framed in sin and death instead can be framed in freedom and new life. That can be the end of your story. You can flip the script on your horror movie. You can do it, but it comes by killing the killer and making sure he's dead, by sacrificing everything that you feel like, you know, that's what I want, that's what I think is best for me, sacrificing those things to Jesus and saying, I want what you want. I agree with you about my condition. I am offering myself up to you, Jesus. Kill the sin in my life and make sure it's dead. You can do that today. You can make that choice today. And I wanna pray with you real quick. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would warm the hearts of everyone listening right now who, who knows that you're speaking to them. Everyone who has sin in their life, unrepented sin that you not me, I, I don't know. I don't know what everyone has in their life. I don't know where people are at, but you know, God. And you're putting your thumb in the back of the people right now who need to kill the killer in their life. 
God, help them to see their need for you in these next moments. Help them to see that they don't have to live a horror movie moment life anymore, but that they can flip the script and that by your power, by your name, the name of Jesus, sin and death can be replaced with freedom and life by you. Work in their hearts, Jesus, and work in our hearts of the people who are already following you. Work in our hearts to let us see our need for you afresh today, our need for you to kill the sin in our life, to take that old sin-dead way of living and put it to death once and for all so that we can live a new life following you. We love you, Father, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.